Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me here on this Sunday, the day after Florida pounded Arkansas 63-35 to as Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun, Nick De La Torre. We'll not be able to join us for this episode, but Graham, you and I will have no issue uh, breaking down this dominant performance by the Gators, at least on the offensive side of the ball, up and down day on defense, of course. Uh, but uh, Graham, man, this we'll get through it. But I mean, I think we're running out of ways to describe this Gator offense right now. Yeah, I, I think prolific is absolutely a fair description. I, I mean, you look at what Kyle Trask is doing. I said this multiple times throughout the night. I, I have no question in my mind that that has got to be the Heisman Trophy front runner. You know, I've seen guys like Justin Fields, who – how many games has Ohio State even played? Are they even going to play eight games by the time Florida's played the SEC championship in a sense? I don't know that. Their protocols are much more strict. How can you say anyone but Kyle Trask right now is the Heisman Trophy front runner? And, uh, yeah, like you said, he keeps doing things that – just kind of baffle you 23 for 29 last night, six touchdown passes, 356 passing yards, 250.7 passer rating. You know, they got Emory Jones involved, even had a chance to get Anthony Richardson involved, 208 rushing yards on the day. Actually the same exact amount of rushing yards. I was looking at that after the game between Arkansas and UF that kind of stood out to me. And, you know, not to kind of take things away from the offense in a sense, I didn't think it was that up and down of a day defensively you take out those three big plays and it it could have been much much worse I will say that I'm not trying to excuse those big plays and the mistakes the defense made but it's hard for me to focus or say that they had such an up and down defensive day in a sense when you're seeing an offense like this and you take out those three big plays it really wasn't that bad to me no, and that's you know why I described it as up and down because <laughs> those players are there. So uh, we'll, we'll get into all that. Plenty, plenty to talk about here. Uh, we'll go ahead and say uh, Bill Sykes will be on Gators Breakdown uh, t- tomorrow. The return of Bill Sykes for an episode uh, there. I know a lot of you guys have been wondering, asking about Bill. He will join us on. Uh, he will join Will Miles now 
on the uh, Monday edition of Gators Breakdown. So you'll get to hear from uh, Bill and uh, his latest articles up at Read Reaction 2 uh, released last week. So you guys can uh, read that there, but we'll get Bill's thoughts on the on the season and uh, his latest work over at Read Reaction uh, with Will Miles on Monday. But Graham Hall and I have got you covered here as we look back at Florida's Domination win over Arkansas. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as coverage from the News 4 Jack sports team. Catch us on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, and also check us out on social media on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Graham, you, you dove into it, man. Kyle Trask, big day, of course, and his numbers will hit him again. 23 of 29, 356 yards, six touchdowns, uh, went into it here, eight passing plays over 20 yards. Uh, Florida was also 7 of 10 on third down while Trask was in at quarterback. Four of those were converted through the air. Graham, these numbers, third and seven, a gain of 14. Third and 11, a gain of 23 yards and a touchdown. Third and nine, you gain 21. Third and one, a gain of 30. So if Florida was in those third, third down situations, no problem converting with Kyle Trask in there. And look, man, Arkansas, 12 interceptions on the season. Trash slinging the ball everywhere. Didn't throw one interception to that turnover-prone uh, Arkansas defense there. So, Graham, you, you know, you, you get these notes here from, from Florida just like I do, and they, they send them out after every game. But six touchdown passes for Kyle Trask. Uh, broke to his record of SEC record for most touchdown passes through the first six games of a season. Uh, Tua had 27 in his first six games of last season. Trash become the seventh quarterback in SEC history to throw for six passing touchdowns multiple times in a career and the fifth to do it multiple times in the same season. With his sixth game of four passing touchdowns this season, Trash becomes the first Gator in history to throw four-plus passing touchdowns in six, six different times in a season. Graham, I know every week we come on here, every week we share numbers like that for Kyle Trask. But, but that last one, the first Gator in history to throw for four-plus passing touchdowns six different times in a season. Now, you, we all go back to, to the fun and gun with Steve Spurrier in the 90s when Florida's slinging it all over the field. Not one of those quarterbacks did what Kyle Trask did last night. No, they didn't, you know, and, and not to take away from guys like Danny Warfel whatsoever, and like you said, that stretch from, what, 94 to – to 96 there were some amazing offenses you know even into 98 2001 you could make a case that that was florida's peak offensively and kyle trask is just kind of smashing those records as if it's nothing and that's why people as annoying as it kind of be can be to florida fans keep harping on his story because it's so hollywood-esque that this is not some you know brock berlin type quarterback who's heralded has all the rewards coming in there smashing records or even a guy like tua who had the five-star ranking i mean this is a guy who was on nobody's radar and sits behind multiple quarterbacks and is now shattering records that no one dreamed were going to be shattered by a florida quarterback over the last decade based on what we had seen but you know give brian johnson a whole lot of credit not again to take anything away from kyle trask but this is a first time offensive coordinator and Florida's offense looks more, you know, I, I don't want to say efficient necessarily, but, but they are more thrilling in, in the way that they are executing. I know they can beat you with long drives, that 14 play drive to start the game took up what seven minutes and really kind of demoralized that Razorbacks defense right off the jump. And, 
you know, I know Sam Pittman wasn't in the game or wasn't able to coach for the Razorbacks, but but Barry Odom is a very good uh, former head coach and, and defensive-minded personality. And if anything, the way that Florida dismantled that program, they, they did pride themselves on their defense as much as they have been beating teams out. You look at that Tennessee game, what, what Arkansas did, they were up, what, 42 to nine at one point. They, they pride themselves on their defense and Florida went in and put, you know, they came in here in Florida, put 63 points on them. Just the fifth game, I shouldn't say just the fifth, the fifth game and Dan Mullen's tenure with Florida has scored 50 points or more. Uh, I, I think you saw this in the stat book. This kind of blew my mind, but from 2010 to 2017, they only had five, 50-point games total across 101 games. And in Dan Mullen's 32 games here in Gainesville now, they've already matched that total. So you could absolutely point to that about how much of a turnaround it absolutely has been since the first part of the decade. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous, these numbers that we get every week and, and what he's done. And Graham, I mean, the crazy thing about it, man, is it seems he's getting better. Week after week after week. I mean, he he's right now doing you know ball placement, finding guys, and we'll get into just you know just a second. He's doing this without some of his you know, best weapons on the field or his best weapons going crazy. And right now, it just seems like he's getting better every week, and that, that that's really a, an accomplishment for where he has started. You know, th- this season, and he was already starting the season on fire, and now we get to the point where. You played Georgia last week, which, which was everybody was thinking of, you know, the biggest test of the season, and you passed that with flying colors. A week later, oh, is there a letdown? Is there a letdown for this team? And all he does is go out there and set more records. <laughs> and, and now, you know, just you come back from that COVID break, and you know, look, there's so many things you could have pointed to this year where uh, you're coming back from COVID, you, you maybe expect a, a, a step back a little bit. Nope, comes out and he's slinging the ball over the place. Okay, now you're playing Georgia. You're playing that defense. You know, that's the last hurdle we really want to see for Kyle Trask before a lot of people buy in. Passed out with flying colors. Okay, well, now you've got an emotional game versus Felipe Franks. And can you put together a performance the week after Georgia where so much was put into that game? Is there any kind of letdown the week after that? No, I mean, he's going out there and, like I said, ball placement, putting the ball where only his guys can get it. Yesterday, making NFL throws into tight zone coverage windows. And, I mean, credit to his receivers as well, making some really, really tough catches when he's zinging the ball in there. But the game versus Arkansas may have been one of his best arm talent games because he was really having to fit it in their windows and putting zip on the ball that we really haven't seen on a consistent basis because he hasn't really had to. Against Arkansas, he had to, and he did that too. Yeah, they were dropping a lot of guys in the coverage. I don't know if, if many people missed that. The zone that Arkansas was playing really was kind of trying to make Florida beat them on the run game. And that's why I noted the, you know, the 208 rushing yards. But, yeah, some of those passes, uh, you know, you go back to that Trey Grimes one where it goes right through the, the DB's <laughs> arms right into his hands. You know, how did he catch that? And, and then the, the Jacob Copeland one where he directs them to move, you know, past the safety there so he can throw it over him. I mean, that is, like you said, NFL direction type ability to sense that on the field. And, uh, you know, the wheel route, uh, using Keon Zipper the way that they did. I mean, this is a this is a guy that absolutely understands and trusts his offense and trusts the play call to develop and trusts what he has seen from defenses and how he's reading them. And he's just putting it all together in a way that formulaically we've always said, hey, if you can do such, such, and such, you're going to be this good of a quarterback. And actually seeing someone make it so, I don't want to say so easy like Kyle Trask is doing, but seeing someone do it effortlessly in a sense a a guy who 
takes coaching, doesn't get emotional, doesn't overreact, doesn't really force anything. It has spread the ball out, trusts his, trusts his targets. I mean, how many people out there, how many programs out there can say that your pass catching target, like Kyle Pitts goes out and you immediately start throwing multiple touchdowns to the backup tight end, like Keon Zipper. I don't think any program right now can say that they have the trust in their system and the depth at that position to do that right now. And it's just a testament to not only Trask's trust, in his weapons, but the depth that Florida has built on offense over these past three seasons. And we'll go right there. We'll transition perfectly into no pits, no problem. <laughs> so look, don't get me wrong. You'd love to have Kyle Pitts out there. I mean, he makes this offense even better, but there's no problem right now, of course, uh, at least right now of him not being out there. Tony, seven catches, Grimes with six, Henderson with three, Zipper with three, Grimes, six catches go for 109 yards and two touchdowns. Henderson has a touchdown. Zipper with two touchdowns. Copeland, a 33-yard touchdown. Shorter would it go up and get him 21-yard touchdown. I mean, nine players caught passes for seven touchdowns, and Emory Jones gets a touchdown pass as well. So nine players caught passes, seven touchdowns, all without Kyle Pitts out there. I mean, we saw the screenplay was used early and often. We haven't seen it a whole lot this season, at least compared to, to you know previous years where the screenplay was a very, very instrumental in the offense. They hit it early and often, some success, some not success yesterday. But you could, but then Graham, you could tell Justin Shorter's touchdown, it come off of a fake screen. You could tell because I, I was talking on Twitter and I was like, look, I, you, you noticed they're running the screen pass way more than they have at any point this season. I was like, they're definitely setting something up. Fake the screen to Tony, you find Shorter down there for a touchdown. I mean, not only is it just these players when you can say no pits, no problem, to this coaching staff as well. You know, they're finding ways to get other guys involved. Involved, And, Graham, we've seen it almost every game. Florida has a certain set of receivers that start the game. The second drive of the game, here comes Trent Riddemore, Xavier Henderson, Justin Shorter, Naquan Wright, or Malik Davis as a whole second set of skill players. You can tell the confidence is there. They're putting these other guys out there early in game situations. I mean, Arkansas goes right down and scores and make the game 7-7. It doesn't change what Florida does at all. Every game we've seen early in the game, these second set of skill players come in and have some success. So not only if you look at Kyle Trask and say no pits, no problem, you really have to give a lot of you know uh, credit to these backup players and these coaching staff and this coaching staff as well when saying no pits, no problem, because they're all succeeding with it. Yeah, you got to give that off. That's a whole lot of credit for, yeah, like you said, trusting the various weapons, using Naquan Wright, Malik Davis, interchanging them after Damian Pierce starts the game, getting Justin Shorter involved in the passing game. I really like what I've seen out of him the last month. I, I think that he really has changed some impressions of, that, you know, you look at that Penn State program, they were saying this guy couldn't get on the field. And I mean, look at Penn State right now and look at what Justin Shorter has done the last four weeks. I, I think that uh, things are looking a little bit funny in the light in a sense there. I, I think Naquan Wright continues to impress me. He runs hard, senses that he's, he's patient. He waits for things to develop and then attacks decisively and, and a good pass catching target as well. Really good in pass protection, I think. And um, this offense has done a great job just responding all season long when they have kind of got hit in the mouth there. One, I think it was incredibly dumb. I said this last night on Twitter, I think it's incredibly dumb to boo Felipe Franks, just knowing if there's anything certain about his game, it's that that's a guy who can just beat you for some brilliant plays when he's motivated. And Florida fans were on the receiving end of those, the heave to cleave, various other 
big plays that Felipe Franks made that often made you be like, why can't you get that every single time down the field? You, you boo him and he goes out there, throws the 47-yard touchdown right away, throws an 82-yard one, they, they break you for an 83-yard run. Every single time, Florida's offense doesn't panic, they don't rush it, they establish the drive, and that is so demoralizing for a team like the Razorbacks who beats you through a big play, thinks that they're going to have a chance to get back in the game. And then your offense just methodically drives right down the field and does what they've done all game long. It's absolutely demoralizing. And and I haven't seen any defense this season stop it. I I think that is absolutely fair right now to say that one loss so far against Texas A&M defensively, that was all on Florida. And then you could make a point that, Fumbles are just going to happen there, and, and they just happen at the worst time against Texas A&M when everything went wrong. But this this offense, no one has been able to stop them this season. And Graham, going to that point, man, and, and honestly, like, like you bring you're bringing up Arkansas's offenses. That's a good point. Florida's offense right now is putting so much pressure on opposing offenses that they have to go out there and try. And when you're playing these quarterbacks that are coming up or these teams that are coming up for Florida right now, I mean, granted, we've seen it the last couple weeks with or last few weeks with Missouri, Georgia, and uh, and Arkansas. Look, they don't they don't have these explosive offenses to catch up. And now you're getting turnovers based off of it because those opposing offenses are having to force to try and keep up with, with this Florida offense. That is really, you know, when they say football is a team game, that's what it is. I mean, right now, this Florida offense is helping this Florida defense because they are forcing the opposing offense to have to go out there and score every possession because the Florida offense is basically scoring almost every possession. The schedule coming up pretty much sets up the same way. Kentucky's not going to have the firepower to keep up with Florida. Tennessee's not going to have the firepower to keep up with Florida. LSU is better suited for that, but their offense is not on Florida's level right now. I mean, Graham, we, we, good point by you, man. They're bringing it up that, that, that there is a lot of pressure on these opposing offenses coming up where, I mean, it really just suits Florida's play style, and it gives the – gives and we'll get into the defense, but it gives the defense some time to also improve. You're helping the defense because they don't feel the pressure to have to go out there and make plays every drive like a – Jim McElwain offense or Will Muschamp offense where they basically can't give up anything. It's given this defense time to grow. And I tell you what, that, that's, that's probably the biggest thing for this offense right now is making opposing offenses catch up and also uh, giving their defense time to catch up through the, throughout the season. Yeah, I think Florida only punted, what, one time last night? I mean, they're capitalizing on nearly every single drive that they get on the field. It's either going to end in a, a turnover or, or a punt by, by the Gators. And, and you look at the Razorbacks last night, five punts. I mean, this is a team that they have, they, don't, they can't afford to not capitalize on drives. I got to say, I thought that Felipe Franks had a really good game last yeah. night for, for what he was asked to do. And I, and I think that was kind of lost in, in, in the mix there last night. I mean, 15 for 19, 250 passing yards, two touchdowns. More often than not, that, that does win you games in the sec in a, in a regular year when you have hey, Graham, those same numbers when he was quarterback out florida won them games it won them plenty of games you, you saw several seasons under dan mullen where that would be enough for the gators but this offense at florida is just on a whole nother level i mean emory jones getting involved there rushing touchdowns and passing touchdowns as well i i say all the time the depth at every single position uh maybe outside of defensive line i I thought that that was a little bit missing last night, although I thought that Florida's pass rush was really, really strong. But missing guys like Jalen Humphreys and, and um, you know, I think Gervin Dexter needs to get a few more reps, but that position certainly is one you got to attack on the recruiting trail moving forward. But that's really about the only 
weakness of this team. And like you were just saying, Dave, you look at the offenses left on this schedule, if they can handle this Arkansas offense, who, again, Felipe Franks is having a good season so far, if they can stop this offense, you look at the slate, there really isn't an offense remaining that should give this Florida defense fits unless they make more boneheaded mistakes in a sense. And if you take out the three against the Razorbacks, I thought that it was an all-around good defensive performance. So I am very optimistic about Florida's chances in every single game remaining this season, even if they have to be in a shootout, it seems to favor them as well there. Absolutely. I mean, we we went into, I think we discussed it last week. I forget what show it was on. I'm doing so many shows right now. It's kind of ridiculous where I I forget the conversations we're having now, (laughs) but uh, here we go. I mean, I think we were saying last week, this Arkansas game might be the toughest game left on the schedule. And when you look at complete teams and how look, they beat Tennessee the, the week before. Florida has Tennessee left. And I know you can't really compare schedules and, and compare teams. That That's not the best way of doing it. But Arkansas probably is playing better overall than Kentucky. Tennessee may be questionable versus LSU. But, uh, you know, just because LSU is offensive, uh, offensive firepower. But, you know, the, it was not a far-fetched idea to say, Arkansas was the best team left on the schedule, and Florida went out there and just just dismantled them. I mean, it wasn't even it wasn't even a, a close game about midway through the second quarter there. So, um, another great second quarter performance. And Graham, the best thing maybe to come out of this, everybody after the Georgia game wanted to see a second half performance for for the skater offense. Keep your foot on the pedal, uh, and second score uh, twenty eight points in the second half. The season high for the Gators. So they kept the foot on the pedal. Yeah, I mean, it started slow. Arkansas drives uh, right down the field. They've been really good at scoring in the start and second half this year. They did it again uh, versus Florida. But then, you know, the offense, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was a three and out or not. I, I forgot about that. But the offense didn't didn't score in its first possession. Uh, that, was, that was the Jacob Finn punt. So I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because Arkansas goes right down the field. Nine plays, 75-yard drive, gets the ball back. You're sitting here thinking, okay, they just – establish a long drive we are and then florida has this six play drive that ends in this jacob Finn punt and you're thinking okay are they going to cut into this deficit and at that, that point it's only a 14 point game within that that fourth quarter there yeah uh i'll try and i mean i have to go through a whole bunch of tweets but arkansas yeah was really really good at starting second halves there i, I know i said it in the preview episode uh for, for arkansas so i was able to extend that that if uh yeah here we go so the uh, the arkansas offense has now taken their first drive of the second half for points in six of the team's seven games including touchdowns in four of those games so that's how arkansas started uh the, the second half last night so you know they've had some success they've had really good success in, in making adjustments and they did it again last night but credit to the florida defense for you know not folding after that and, and putting up a pretty good performance uh after that but the offense coming out pedal to the metal 28 points in the, in the second half of season high there grant that's just a, what a lot of fans wanted to see after the quote-unquote disappointing performance in the second half versus georgia last week you know you've seen some players say and you know maybe you know that the uh, the uh, the offense may, maybe settled down a little bit versus Georgia. Maybe not as many deep passes or deep routes were run. You know, that kind of goes back. Maybe they got a little complacent uh, a bit, but no complacency when going against Arkansas uh, last night with 28 uh, second half points. Yeah, you know, I, I know that Dan Mullen is kind of a historian in the sense, so I wonder how much he is aware of these offensive statistics that are in reach because, you know, you bring up tweets last night, I'm seeing people speculating that 
maybe the defense's plan is to get the offense on the field <laughs> as much as possible so they can run this thing up. And I would love if that was absolutely the case because so many awards and rankings are, I don't want to say they're lazy, but they're just based off of the score itself. When you absolutely know when you're actually following a team and watching the games that there are long-term benefits to getting your backups in establishing game experience, possibly at the risk of getting that 14 extra points. I mean, if Florida doesn't score 21 points there in the fourth quarter, we actually are looking at that prediction that I said, the game would be coming in, which is 42-35. And that looks a lot, a lot worse today than 63-35. So you have to have Kyle Trask out there in the fourth quarter to, if your defense has allowed you know, 28 points through three quarters in a sense because there are people out there who are going to nitpick you in the rankings and knock you down. If it looks like you didn't cover the spread, only beat Arkansas by seven points, you know, whatever the narrative may be, and if I'm Dan Mullen, I'm, I'm wondering, would I rather get Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson in the game as much as possible at, at the risk of possibly winning the game by only single digits? That's something that I have to weigh. But you look at these stats that Kyle Trask is putting up offensively. If I'm Dan Mullen, I'm absolutely keeping him in there as long as possible because you look at some of the ones that are within reach. He gets 11 more passing touchdowns. He holds the all-time single-season passing touchdown record at Florida passes Danny Warfel who had 39 and this is a 10 game season Danny needed 38 13 uh games to do that you look at some of the other ones within reach obviously that the Detmer record for Heisman yeah um you know that's that is an insane one right there to me you look at the Tua record that you mentioned I mean former five-star guy Kyle Trask has a chance to have his name in elite company for history in a sense. And if I'm Dan Mullen, I'm giving him every opportunity to do that. And that's before even factoring in that this is a year where football was anything but guaranteed. And now you have a chance to set some records that are going to stand the test of time. I would love if they went all for it these next four weeks. My man, it's, it's going to be fun to watch if they do anyway. <laughs> so, uh, good, Graham. Let's, uh, you've hit on it a couple of times. Let's shift uh, to the other side of the ball right here. Uh, Defense, uh, you know, third down's improving uh, a bit in the last uh, last few weeks, but giving up explosive plays here. Uh, Gators defense, four sacks, eight tackles for loss, three quarterback hurries, uh, a scoop and score versus Arkansas. So uh, nice there for Zachary Carter to uh, get in on the uh, on the scoring action there uh, with the defense. Uh, Arkansas ran for two hundred and eight yards, so not good uh, there, but through three quarters. Arkansas, 329 total yards, 161 rushing yards, and they were sacked three times through three quarters there. So Arkansas did get the pad some stats uh, versus the, you know, the Florida backups on defense in the fourth quarter here. Arkansas only ran 51 plays compared to Florida's 83, but they did average more yards per play uh, than Florida. That's where the explosives, uh, of course, come in there. Arkansas had touchdowns of 83, 82, 47 yards, they averaged nine yards per play, but Gators defense was there when it counted the most. And believe it or not, that was on third down. Arkansas was three of nine for third down for 33%. Average 8.3 yards to go, only gained 6.9 yards on average on third down. And Graham, here we go. Since Texas A&M game, where Texas A&M went 12 of 15 on third down for 80%, Gators have improved significantly in that department. Missouri. 3 of 15 on third down for 20%. Georgia, 2 of 13, 15.4%. 
Arkansas, three of nine, 33%. So then I heard Chris Doring bring up on uh, the SEC Network this morning, four sacks versus Missouri, three sacks versus Georgia, four sacks versus Arkansas. So this defense is getting better in spots, hopefully putting the pieces together to be a more complete defense as the season goes along. Yes, the explosives are an issue right now, but look, I comparatively, I take that over giving up third down after third down, and that offense is on the sideline. At least, at least this is getting the offense back on the field when you give up explosive plays. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the point about explosive plays, I know I kind of jumped the gun in a sense and mentioned that right off the bat, but it really is something that I, I think you got to put it in context a little bit more because, yeah, those defensive, the, the offensive numbers don't look good for Florida's defense. Absolutely not. But you take out those three big explosive plays, the 47 yard touchdown to Woods in the beginning, the 83-yard one, the 82-yard one. I mean, that's, you know, 212 yards right there. You take those out, they have 240-some-odd yards over the next 48 plays. That really is not that bad. When you look at the rest of it, that actually stacks up extremely well and is in line with the rest of your performances. But we all know that's not how it works. If those three big plays all go for touchdowns, any anything that that is doing to your defense is kind of – it can be demoralizing um, for any other defense, I, I guess is the point there in a sense. You look at um, you look at this offense, you know, there's a reason we try and always bring them into the conversation with the defense because more often than not, allowing those big plays doesn't hurt them. But against a team like Texas A&M where, like I said, you only get 41 points and, and you allow those, those – you only get, what, 38 points and you allow those, those – uh, the opposition to score more – more touchdowns on on you than you score that's obviously going to be a, a big factor and and so you look around um I, I think there's certainly a lot to be improved upon and that was the message from florida last night you know even zach carter who was celebrating his first defensive touchdown since he was eight years old said that you know we have a lot to clean up here in the next four weeks five weeks if we're going to the sec championship game and and that's what you kind of want to hear and Graham, he not- said he said that pretty much unprovoked yeah, he said that unprovoked. You know, yeah. we give these guys a chance to to come out here and, and say, hey, how big was this moment for you? Can you revel in it now that the game's over? Celebrate it. What's it like? What's your phone going on? And and often the players take the opportunity to say, you know, it, it felt great, but we have a lot to get cleaned up. I can't let it distract from what we have to do moving forward. And that has to give you a lot of encouragement, not only if you're a Florida fan, but if you're Todd Grantham, if you're Dan Mullen, that these guys aren't so much worried about personal accolades than team accolades. Let the media, let the fans worry about personal accolades uh, because if your team isn't winning, if you're still allowing 35 points a game, at the end of the day, there is work that needs to be done because if you don't put in that work now, you're going to miss a chance to improve uh, when it actually comes to time and then it's going to be too late. So I think that Florida's defense realizes that and that's the key. I, you know, I see week in and week out, complaints about Todd Grantham but if you if you can say anything right now that's a positive is that he's instilled a defensive mentality in these guys that they realize it's about the team more so than about what they're accomplishing out there and you look at the secondary not a lot of takeaways this season not a lot of big Mm -hmm. plays and this is a defense that was fueled off of those in recent years and they seem to kind of have put those I don't want to say selfish but those personal uh grievances accomplishments that they're chasing aside and realizing that Florida still has much more to play for right now. 
Yeah, you mentioned the secondary uh, a little bit. You know, that lends itself into some of the explosive that we saw Arkansas hit there. And, you know, technique is an issue at time. You know, we saw Elam get beat on the opening Arkansas touchdown. Later, Arkansas gets away with an offensive pass interference and another long touchdown. But, you know, Rashad Torrance is there in position to make a tackle and just really just gets lost in in trying to make a a tackle there on the Arkansas receiver. He can't break that play down and gives up a touchdown. Uh, Graham, I think we're seeing, you know, two weeks in a row, we've seen these long runs given up by this Florida defense against Georgia last week for a 75-yarder and then uh, close to 80-yarder versus Arkansas. Uh, I I think we're seeing not having enough true linebackers are are really hurting Florida and, and is an issue. Sometimes it's good, you know, that these guys are fast enough in there to, to go make plays, but sometimes when an offensive line can get right to them, they just cannot disengage from blocks, get eaten up there by an offensive line. You know, Diabate, Bernie, not true linebackers. James Houston was out uh, of the game yesterday, so maybe, you know, Bernie, Diabate play, playing in that linebacker position probably a bit more than they than Grantham probably really wants them to, but kind of by necessity right now with Houston being out. You know, so linebackers get manhandled at times. Tempo was giving them issues early on. They knew that was coming. You hate seeing, you know, kind of just couldn't keep up with the Arkansas pace or early on uh, on that first drive or, and the first couple of drives there. Uh, but like I said, all in all, they're, they're improving in areas. You hope as the season goes along to just put the pieces together game by game by game. And by the time you get to the SEC championship game, you've got something a, a bit better for Alabama right now. Because, look, guys, I mean, we know it, and I'll get into some of your comments. You guys know it, too. And I, and I hate looking forward too much because you can only really worry about what you can worry about right now. But everybody's pointing to all the explosives that Alabama's offense puts up. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, that's been the bugaboo for Florida. You know, so third down, you know, uh, the opposing offenses sure have something to do with it. But you've you've identified some issues on third down. You've gotten better in that department. Now, maybe you just start working on the, you know, the communication part and, and putting players, even more players in the right position to help with those to limit some of those explosive plays. Yeah, certainly. I, I think that that will absolutely help. I, I think that this is a year where we've made excuses frequently for the lack of personnel. And, and I think when it comes to the linebackers, you can absolutely say that missing some guys will hurt a team like Florida. You look at Ventrell Miller kind of getting banged up there mm-hmm. early. He does come back. Uh, but missing James Houston, the guy who has been one of your more consistent tacklers this season, significantly uh, played significantly more reps than some of the freshmen that you mentioned, like like uh, Therese Johnson, certainly Tyron Hopper, Rashad Torrance, you know, that's a guy who's a key role, role player, not having him out there. And then the week before against Georgia, not having Trey Dean as well. You know, Florida has missed, I think, consistent role players every single week where you could have said, hey, maybe those big plays are, are because of a lack of substitution, not the right personnel. Who knows what they are? But And Graham, going to your point there, you know, this defense is trying to fit in a lot of pieces and, and the guys yeah. getting banged up and all that. So you're trying different pieces just because, you know, in, I mean, look, injuries happen. Injuries are a part of football, but you know, there's been some consistency of with you know, the same 11 guys out there playing together. Yeah. You don't see that too often where uh, you're having a, a unit that is out there as frequently as Florida's. They kind of start the game the same every single time, but mm-hmm. then they're shifting around different pieces, moving Amari Bernie around, Ventrell Miller rotating as well. <clears throat> Tiabate, you mentioned, you know, Zachary Carter, the ability to play inside, outside, can rotate with Brendan Cox as well. I mean, this is a team that can disguise different players at different positions multiple times. And 
that unfortunately is just going to sometimes lead to some confusion. And, and I'm not trying to defend that in a sense, but when you're rotating players around in the secondary and sometimes guys don't know their assignment or, uh, you, you know, some guy thinks he's supposed to stun and they rush, you know, so many things like that can absolutely just lead to a big play. And like you said, we saw it against Georgia. We saw it three times against the Razorbacks. It's not going to be something that kills you if you have the offense to go out there and your defense yeah. is playing well 90% of the time, which I thought that they were last night against the Razorbacks. But people are going to unfairly point to those big plays as something that could end up costing you. I will say that I amateur opinion here. You have a guy like Tyron Hopper, Trevez Johnson. You're playing Rashad Torrance, Chester Kimbrough, Gervin Dexter already. You're missing James Houston. I would like to see when the when the league goes up 20 plus to, to play those guys a little bit more because you don't know what could happen in Atlanta or before that. You don't know who could possibly be unavailable here at the end of the season. Getting freshman experience, especially at the linebacker position, especially in the secondary, I think will pay some dividends for this team, even if they have to take some lumps on Saturday like we've seen against the Razorbacks and the Dogs. And the point there, Graham, to another point there is, look, Florida's, Florida's playing a whole bunch of games in a row coming up if, if the schedule stays the same. Uh, so like you said, you know, the, the, there is the chance there of, of becoming a pretty beat-up team uh, by the time you get to, you know, Tennessee, LSU, uh, and you know, probably Alabama in the SEC championship game. We'll see if that schedule holds true. I know the SEC has a lot to figure out uh, there with, with, the, with the scheduling there. But as it stands right now, you know, Florida's playing a bunch of uh, a whole bunch of games in a row. And, and that, a couple of shout-outs, uh, Graham, I think, uh, for a couple of players. I'll go back to it, and maybe I'm making too much of it. That third down stop by Marco Wilson where he fought through a block tackled a tight end that has a lot of size on him for a player to, of course, that has been at the you know uh, attack of, you know, of critics and, and media and fans rightfully. So he wasn't playing good uh, there at, at one point in the season, but since it's, you know, since the, since the break and, and the comeback there uh, from, from um, him missing uh, the game a couple of weeks ago against Missouri has put together a pretty good couple of performances versus Georgia and in Arkansas the, 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 this week, Amari Bernie, a guy that was called out at the beginning of the season a whole lot. We're, we're not, you know, it, it's it's a good thing when you can't identify. Oh, there's Amari Bernie getting beat again. We haven't we haven't necessarily said that a lot in the last couple of weeks. So as I said, this defense is starting to, you know, find some things that they, that they can count on, and some certain players are actually, you know, kind of turning around their their season a bit. I'm not sitting here and calling them great players, and I'm sitting here saying they're guys that can be counted on over and over again. But if we were going to sit there and slam them for the, the bad plays that they were hitting or not hitting at the beginning of the season, we got to give them credit now for not being for 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 out there making plays. Absolutely, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because it seems like too often these days, and I'm I'm not going to try and get philosophical. People are so quick to criticize, but when someone acts on said criticism, fixes the problem, we don't give them their due. And that seems like the case right now. You had guys like Sean Davis, you know, Marco Wilson, like you said, Amari Bernie, Diabate, people were criticizing them in the first couple of weeks. And like you said, fairly in a sense, but we had Amari Bernie that week after having a rough performance against Texas A&M, come out, speak to the media, and say, I know I made mistakes. I have to get better. Everything I was just saying about the mentality of this defense with Zach Carter, Amari Bernie, several of those guys, Marco Wilson, showed that in the first couple weeks of the season. They said that they are going to improve, that this isn't their expectations. They, they said everything that you want to hear, and they absolutely have acted on it. And then some, 
but yet we don't hear this chorus of respect or acknowledgement given to that. It still is kind of on the conversation of, well, Marco Wilson, he still got beat at Texas A&M, so-and-so-and-so, but what has he done in the time since? You go to that Georgia game, you go to this game, like you said, the play against the tight end, doing stuff that often doesn't show up even in the stat sheet. And, and you know, but that's even before bringing in leadership to the conversation. It does just kind of pain me to see the lack of, I think, acknowledgement given. And that's what I think when I see after the game, players like Sean Davis and, you know, Jacob Copeland hopping on Twitter and talking about the fake love and how you're with them when they do well, but until they mess up, people kill them. And then it seems like that love is not quick to return once they have already made amends. And that does kind of sadden me, but I think that's just the age we're living in. And you have to point out when guys like Bernie Diabate have absolutely shown up. I mean, that play Diabate made, yeah. in the I, I think it was that sack there. Uh, he forced that fumble as well. I believe on Zach Carter's mm-hmm. scoop and score. And that's one of those guys, everyone's talking about Zach Carter, you know, and there were conversations in the first two weeks where people were saying, Oh man, uh, is cross training them at positions leading them to be bad. I mean, making horrible takes like that. And then you see this guy who has absolutely returned to form in a sense. And Dave, I got to say, it seems like it gives credence to the argument that people like you and I were making about this being a strange year with no spring, a weird fall, comments Dan Mullen said about ramping up and ramping down at the SEC, the preparation period, the what contact tracing would do. We just knew that guys were not going to be ready to go and be rusty in a sense by the time the season started. So it really shouldn't be that surprising that, oh, we're, we're six weeks into the season now and guys are looking much, much better it's kind of annoying to see people being surprised then in a sense, because it kind of backs up. I think everywhere, everything we were saying about this is going to be a little bit rusty at first guys who would have spent all season doing tackling drills, doing practicing their, their form and all that stuff were unable to do that. It could be a little bit rusty here defensively. And it seems like people were so quick to forget that. And that is a little bit, I think annoying here in, in having this revisionist history right now. Yeah, and to go into that point, too, and kind of going back, you know, look, every coach attacked that different. This was a first for everybody. So there was some right decisions made. There were some wrong decisions made about when to go hard in practice and when not to go hard. Because, I mean, look, it was this. It was new for everybody. It was new for the players. It was new for the coaches. It was new for everybody involved in the football operations to try and figure out the best way to attack um, – you know, starting the season late and, and the limited practice reps. And, and I think we, we, I mean, that's another thing, just general, just looking at the tackling has gotten so much better since the, I mean, you don't see as, I mean, you, they've gotten in the backfield and yeah, they, they've allowed some quarterbacks to escape and all that. But overall, if you want to sit there and compare the tackling from the first few games to what we're seeing right now, I don't think of it as an issue. Are, are there missed tackles? Of course, there's missed tackles in every game you can look at, but it's not, it's not necessarily an issue. You don't, you don't look at it over and over again and say, Oh man, this tackling is an issue today. I mean, I haven't seen that tweet since the Texas A&M game. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not true. I mean, Florida was a little bit slow, but I think we've seen that in every single season opener of every single year. I mean, go back to that Miami game right. when you have all the stuff in front of you. And I know there was a different quarterback there, but you, you see what six, turnovers, win that game by four points, missed tackles up and down the field. 
yeah, Kadarius Tony had a big play there, but Miami had just as many big plays. I mean, that, that is just, it seems to be a trend early on in games. Teams are just not going to look their best. And that's why you sometimes want to play one of those cupcakes so you can try some things out, afford to make some mistakes, ha- have a little bit of a chance to get a tune up and, and put some things on film. Um, but otherwise, you know, if, if you go out there and play these tough opponents, you're going to make some mistakes and they could cost you every single year. That's why I think that loss against Texas A&M hurts even more because that is a team that had a veteran quarterback, had arguably, in my opinion, before Ed Orgeron had that year last year, I would have said Jimbo Fisher was the third best coach in the SEC, if not the second best coach ahead of Dan Mullen. I know that's a hot take, but he's got the championship as a head coach. But you could have made an argument either way. Having that game happen in the early – early part of the season, if that Arkansas game and that Texas A&M game were flipped in a sense, in my mind, where you could have made more mistakes possibly on defense against Arkansas, but yet still had your offense in sync, you know, you could maybe make the case that this team right now beats Texas A&M in that week. And that, that's kind of what makes that loss so frustrating because they're not making the same type of mistakes on defense that cost them that, that win in college station. Man, I, I'm going to go back and look at that A&M game, you know, for the week of the SEC championship game. I got to see how the season plays out, but there's a chance, you know, if going into Atlanta, if the season kind of plays out like everybody thinks that that, that it does, but Florida had ended up winning that game, the SEC championship game probably would not even matter. If, if Florida was undefeated and Alabama were undefeated going into that game, the SEC championship game probably wouldn't even matter. But now with Florida's situation and losing that game, that game's going to matter because Florida can't lose it if they want to get to the college football playoff. But Florida probably would have had a really good chance of making the college football playoff if they were undefeated going into that SEC championship game. So uh, that's one way to look at that game and, and going back and looking at it. But, yeah, good stuff, Graham. Uh, there. Let's take a look at a couple of tweets here before we uh, call it an episode here on Gators Breakdown. And Mullen, we trust, says – I continue to be impressed with how much pressure we get on the quarterbacks no matter what line we are facing. Offense is elite. Trask wasn't locking on to one sole target, which is great. Secondary is a liability, but performing way better. Graham kind of goes to our point here where we were just discussing, you know, about the tackling being much better. The pressure's been much better, too. As we said, I mentioned the sacks in the last few games uh, there. But th- they were in Felipe Frank's face a whole lot. He did uh, make a couple runs there to, to get away from, from the Florida pressure. Uh, there but uh, yeah I think overall especially up front that's that's probably where this defensive improvement really starts I I think if anything and this isn't to be unfair to Felipe Franks I think that they if you're a Gator you know that one of the few certain things is that if you pressure Felipe Franks he, he has a tendency to make some poor decisions and I don't think he made that many uh, on Saturday, obviously, look at the stat sheet, 15 for 19. I mean, that was a guy who was barely completing 55% of his passes in his first two years in Gainesville. Goes out there, hits 15 for 19, with, you know, with all the elements against him, in a sense, uh, outside of a big crowd, I guess you could say. Uh, but Florida was in his face all day long, and, and obviously that was by design. Make him beat you through the air. Make him make those tough throws. Rush eight when you can, and possibly take the few chances that he's going to beat you at I would not be surprised if that was the overall mentality that Florida's defense had coming in, and it absolutely worked. You look at the hurries, you look at the eight tackles for a loss. It's a team that got into the backfield. They knew that the Razorbacks were going to also try the screen pass on Florida, make Florida, uh, you know, (laughs) make tackles, which, like you were saying, has not necessarily been a certainty this season. And 
if that if this was week three and anything, I think that we're talking about possibly a, a much closer game in a sense. But Florida, you know, showed up. They had the pressure. I think that you know it's not just the beginning of the season. I think we can quantitatively say right now that Kyrie Campbell is a bigger presence than many people wanted to act like this season. I don't think as much concern was given initially to his absence. It was kind of like one of those things that was like, okay, well, Kyrie Campbell's not available. Uh, well, next man up mentality, but it's not that simple at that position. We've yeah. harped on the lack of defense, interior defensive tackles in terms of recruiting the South and Sari era, what he did in terms of closing out, not as strong as it could happen, although it wasn't totally his fault certainly has hindered the depth of that position. If it weren't for the transfer portal, it would be even worse. Absolutely. But getting him back has been absolutely huge the last four weeks for the Gators. I think you can say that at this point because Zach Carter looks like we saw him look uh, at the end of last season, what we heard he looked like uh, before spring kind of washed away. And Brenton Cox, you know, he has been so close to the quarterback on every single play. And that's one of those guys where I think you can say has just not had his, what he's doing show up in the stat sheet because he's freeing up other guys. He's taking double teams on and he's allowing guys like Diabate and Zach Carter to get the quarterback and, and eat. And that's not often going to lead to accolades for himself, but everyone who is in that locker room is seeing his impact. And there's a reason that there are some people here right now sitting here talking about him being a, first round NFL draft pick in a sense. And this is a team that, yeah, their front seven, their pass rush has wildly improved the last few weeks, Dave. All right, here we go. Shane Brown says the offense is improving. I'd like to see more runs, but almost nothing feels forced in this offense. Defensively, I think it's time to commit making huge plays slash forcing turnovers. If we're going to give up big plays anyway, might as well have that risk reward uh, payoff. Then, you could tell last night, you know, Shane brings up a good point. Um, this offense not forcing anything, and absolutely they're not. You could tell last night they wanted to work on the run game, but it wasn't like they were forcing the run game. They kind of did it early, kind of set the pace. As I said, that they, they, you can say maybe they were forcing that screen pass early, but as I said, you could just, to me, you could just tell they were setting something up, and it, it, it did break. It, it did turn out that way that they were setting up that touchdown to shorter. Uh, there's you know good balance from the offense last night. You know, for an Arkansas defense that has struggled stopping the run, I mean, Grandma, I bring it up every week. Maybe the only complaint for me for this offense is the lack of explosives in the in the Florida run game, but they're still you know popping six seven yards a, a carry. Damian Pierce is breaking tackles left and right. The Malik Davis, Naquan Wright, you know cre credit to the coaching here too. I mean these guys you know, catching the ball really good. They're getting upfield. You know, these running backs, while the explosives may not be there, they're also not getting tackled for a whole lot of lost yardage plays. They are making something. It, it may be two or three yards, but at least they're not they're not getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage a whole lot. That's kind of been a staple of Dan Mullen's run game since he's been here. Uh, but, you know, with, with this offensive line still not getting to the second level a whole lot, these running backs are, are, are really making a, a whole lot of yards. And I'll, I'll credit the offensive line, too. They, they, they're helping them. But I think the lack of explosives come from the offensive line and uh, the, these running backs not getting uh, tackled for a whole lot of lost yardage plays. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I think the run blocking has improved to the point where Florida can run a more traditional offensive attack. And what I mean by that is they don't really have to run Kadarius Tony on a jet sweep mm -hmm. or in motion every single time to possibly pick up five yards. Like you said, Dan Mullins 
offense is, is just about forward progress. And whether that's one yard, two yards, they're going to attempt to run the ball. You look at that first half, 23 rushing attempts in the first half. I don't think they tried to force any of them at all. You look at that 14 play drive to start the game. Damian Pierce gets fed repeatedly, repeatedly, and it's successful. Picks up several first downs. I mean, yeah, he, you know, Kyle Trask ran some where he gets no gain, but those first few rushes, five yards, eight yards, eight yards again. I mean, this is a guy who, if you're able to get a first down every other, every two plays with him, you're going to keep on doing that. I think the right side of the offensive line continues to be Florida's strength. I think that, yeah, John DeLance and, and Stuart Reese make a very good team. Um, and I would like to see a little bit more Josh Braun, but it looked like that unit is far and improved from where they were last season. And it's allowed Florida to do a lot more. And it's, you've seen Kadarius Tony benefit because he doesn't have to be in motion. And when he's out there on the field, they're really able to disguise how they're using him a lot more. You got to give Naquan Wright a whole lot of credit. Malik Davis, a whole lot of credit because this rushing attack would not be anywhere as good without the depth that they bring. It allows Damian Pierce to, to get a breather to be kind of that staple guy. And it also lets them disguise the run a little bit more. When Damian Pierce isn't out there, when Malik Davis is out there and Naquan Wright is out there, it's not necessarily going to be a running play. You could throw the ball on the wheel route to either one of those guys, or you could hand it off to them and, and have him go pick up a first down. We've seen both happen in the last couple of weeks, and, and that is not something that we are seeing last year whatsoever. Yeah, like, and I know it's fun to slam Greg, Greg Knox and Florida recruiting <laughs> running backs and all that stuff, but I mean, uh, the, just to overall get pass blocking, catching that at the backfield, like I said, getting upfield on run plays. I mean, it could, I, you can definitely see why he's on staff. I mean, it, it just the, the running backs are playing really, really good football, overall football right now for, for, for these running backs. So a lot of credit uh, given there. I mean, Stone Forsyth, Richard Garage, on the left side, Brett Heggie. I mean, from center to left tackle, there are no issues <laughs> on this Florida um, uh, offensive line there. The, the way they're pulled, they pulled a whole lot early in the game. They were pulling those offensive linemen a good bit. Uh, so I think you, you're starting to see him get a, a little bit more comfortable in that regard. That was kind of an issue toward the beginning of the season. The pulling timing necessarily wasn't there, but you're starting to see that come around uh, a bit more uh, this week as well. Uh, last last one uh, or uh, last couple here. Gator Action says, "Great win." Uh, good to see guys line up to show Frank's uh, after the game. Show love to Frank's after the game, and Kyle Trask is clearly the Heisman front runner in my eyes. Going five and zero through Atlanta will help his case. Couple things there, Graham. Yep, it, it was nice to see. I'm glad Florida shared the pictures, and then everybody. We saw some video afterwards of uh, Kyle Trask, Felipe Franks, Dan Mullen, and Felipe Franks. You could tell what he means to those guys and what those guys mean to him. Uh, there are a lot of respect given uh, both sides there. And also, Grant, we'll, we'll peek ahead a little bit. The Heisman talks is definitely ramping up from the Gator side of things. It really is going to come down to Atlanta. No, it really is going to come down to Atlanta. Real quick, though, before I get into to the Kyle Trask, yeah. Felipe Franks, hugging and everything like that, you know, Greg Knox and John Hevesy, I think a lot of people have been disparaging them for their recruiting efforts, which – for Hevesy, I don't think that's fair whatsoever. I think he's done a, an above-average job recruiting, and you can you can disagree with me on that. I don't I don't really care. But with Greg Knox, I think that many people have knocked him for not landing that high-profile target on the recruiting trail. But and this is some spin in a sense. But what we've always said, and it it is true, is that his coaching is going to land targets with the transfer portal, with with 
everything else available, <clears throat> excuse me, Naquan Wright, a former guy who was, a, you know, a former five-star before he got injured. They see talent out there. And once they get into the program, Dan Mullen trusts John Hevesy and Greg Knox to develop them. You can get all the five-star guys in the world. And, and Florida fans have certainly used this to attack programs like, like Georgia and, and even Clemson and, and Alabama, Auburn, whatever you want to say. Those programs have gotten five stars over Florida and they have not necessarily had the staff develop them at the rate that Florida's has had. And you look at Greg Knox and what he brings, not only to special teams, not only to the run game, but to special teams as well. You, you can't praise guys like Evan McPherson and, you know, the Townsends as well, while leaving Greg Knox out of the conversation. There's a reason that Dan Mullen trusts him to run both of those jobs because he's good at developing both and running the system and, and doing things the way that Dan Mullen wants them done. So with the transfer portal these days, all of the harping on the misses just seems pointless to me when you have a coach out there who can develop every single day that when a five-star does become available, they're going to pick a program like Florida because of the development there. And, and we've seen that with DeMarcus Bowman. We've seen that with Lorenzo Lingard. And I think that's going to continue there. But as for the Kyle Trask, Felipe Franks moment, the moments with Franks and, and Dan Mullen, I mean, that's what was so sad about the booing to me, because this is a guy who toiled away, could have left in the transfer portal, saw his head coach in Jim McElwain leave, had everybody attacking him had fans booing him even when he was in the program. He, he, yeah, he shushed some fans and that rubbed them the wrong way. But this is a guy that you could really tell was emotionally invested in the success of the program. And with the transfer portal now, I, I hate to keep throwing that out, but so many guys are worried about me, 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 me. If I'm not getting reps, I, I, I should leave. If, if the fans are mean to me. They don't value me. I'm going to go someplace where I'm valued more. You're seeing that more and more and more. And Dan Mullen addressed it after the game in, in regards to Kyle Trask waiting his turn and the lessons that that can help in his life. And that is why this program has appreciation for Felipe Franks, because he stuck it out. He waited to develop. He didn't give up when the going got tough and didn't even leave on his own terms. It's the guy who was realized that for Kyle Trask's own benefit as well, he had to kind of get out of the way and not be a distraction further so that Kyle could be the guy and let him enjoy the moment. And then Emory Jones could continue developing and the guy that they were bringing in and Anthony Richardson could start developing. Felipe realized that he kind of had his time was done there. And that is an ultimate service clearing, clearing way for someone else to develop to that program. So there's, absolute appreciation between Dan Mullen and Felipe Franks for what he did here, what he's done since and seeing him benefit and still show out at a place like Arkansas. Dan Mullen has to realize that that is a whole lot of credit to himself as well for developing a guy like Franks where he's to the point where he can come back from a devastating injury, miss a whole spring, not really even be healthy by that spring, miss off season workouts, not have his head coach, and he can still go out there and complete 70% of his passes. Dan Mullen realized that's also a testament to himself, and that's why there's so many good feelings. It is a really good feel-good story, and it's becoming increasingly more rare in college football with the amount of transfers out there to have a guy that you genuinely want the best for come back, compete against you, and it's still all good at the end of the day. Yep, well put, well put there. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how much people now want to give – Frank's play 
um, and kind of equal that to development by but by Mullen, but it's definitely uh, definitely uh, a, a staple there for, for for Felipe Franks. And I think you can just tell by the way he acts towards Dan Mullen and and everything that we heard throughout the week and what we saw on the field after the game uh, as well. All right, Grandma, any final thoughts, man, uh, for this Florida Arkansas game and Florida moves forward to uh, Vanderbilt next week? I hate to use the term trap game because that's such a cliche. But these next four games are all trap games. You look at what Arkansas did to Tennessee. You look at what Kentucky has done this year. You look at Vanderbilt. You look at LSU, the shell of LSU, with with multiple outbreaks and opt-outs and a, a coaching staff that pales in comparison to what was there last year. If Florida loses any game left before Atlanta, it is absolutely going to be a travesty because mm-hmm. they should be favored by – they should be favored by 20-plus points in every single game the rest of the way. That offense should put pedal to the metal, realizing that they have a chance to bring a Heisman Trophy possibly to Gainesville if they play the way they have for 60% of the season thus far. If they close out, and it's not even a talk of 15 games, because when you talk about 15 games, there's a little more leeway to get distracted, but you're just talking 10 games, and you've already faced the brunt of your competition all SEC games, and now you're kind of in control of your own destiny. There are no excuses. It would absolutely be a letdown to lose any game here. You overcame the Georgia hurdle. You are going to get a five-star running back on your roster again next year in DeMarcus Bowman. You have a top, possibly a top eight recruiting class you're about to sign here. This is everything ahead of Florida, and they can only hurt themselves here the rest of the way before they get to Atlanta. So, that's my final thought. If they slip up here in the next month, we're going to be overly critical because everything we've seen here in the last few weeks should give you the utmost confidence that this is a team that compete with every single one out there. Right, you're right. Look, I know it's college football, but Florida is Florida is better than every team left on their schedule right now. And, and, and there's no question. As you said, it would definitely be that would definitely hurt if we're if we're coming here in the next few weeks and talking about a loss on a Sunday. Uh, but with the way this offense is looking right now, I don't think anybody can keep up with them. I think the defense is getting better, as we've said, kind of throughout this episode. So we'll see how 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 this team gels uh, as they move forward in, in the march toward Atlanta. I think Graham's points are there. You know, you, you use these games to get better. You use these games to prepare for Alabama. That is the that is the moment, but you, you can't overlook them at the same time because of that purpose. Uh, you use these games as as, as tune ups, and, and I mean that in a good way, not as in oh you go get your backups or, or, or a whole lot of playing time, or it's a tune up game where you don't put your full thought and your your full concentration into it. No, you use these as tune ups to to tune up your concentration, to tune up your thought process, to tune up your preparation every game, and then put it all together in about. Uh, in about four weeks there uh, when, when uh, Alabama and hopefully Florida and Alabama meet in, the, uh, in Atlanta. I keep saying like it's a, like it's a confirmed thing. I know it's pretty much <laughs> confirmed, but. Uh, I'm doing the same thing, but, you know, <laughs> anything but catastrophic uh, yeah. events here, you know, there are people here after that Georgia game that rightfully so in my mind book their trips for that December 18th to 20th weekend there because, hey, those hotels are going to start going fast here, especially with as it gets closer and closer to Christmas in Atlanta, in a sense, that game being closer than ever to the Christmas holidays, you know, book that travel right now. But as long as you get the cancellation <laughs> plan, if you ask me, because anything else uh, would be absolutely a catastrophic failure. All right. That's Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun joining us right here on Gators Breakdown. Graham, thank you much for uh, 
breaking down this Florida win over Arkansas. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.